Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Uh, and it's a motorsport theme podcast this week. We promised you last week um, that we would make use of all that preparation Andrew had done um, for the topic motor racing dynasties, although he's now just told me that he can no longer read his own handwriting. So who knows how well this one will go. Um, and we've got a couple of other things to cover before we, we get stuck into that though, Andrew. And we're, we're recording this on a Monday morning rather than our usual slot on the Friday, which means we can talk about the Monaco Grand Prix. Although, should we? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think we probably should actually. <laughs> I mean, the Monaco Grand Prix weekend at least, I still... Regardless of the okay, the race was a processional ball, um, but there are, there are things to talk about. Even that, particularly, you know, why Mercedes didn't, you know, shine. Um, but I just enjoy watching cars being driven, if not necessarily raced around Monaco. Um, you know, I've said this before, but there is just nowhere where you can see more easily the skill of these drivers. Um, you know, Max's average race speed was almost 100 miles an hour, yeah? Now, if you think about all the times you got caught in traffic and, and everything else, but, you know, you are talking about Formula One cars, I've got to say now, whether they can lap that circuit at 100 miles an hour, and anybody listening to this who's ever gone down there and done a lap in the traffic, like I think most of us have, um, will understand how insane that is. Uh, and and to watch them, particularly as, they're sort of, as they come out of tobacco and places like that, and they are, you know, at times, it's, it's not inches, it's millimetres from the barriers and just to see the sheer skill it's a much more cerebral experience i guess it's not sort of like way hey look how sideways they're going or anything like that but if you just if you really are interested in driving um just as an art i i still think that the spectacle of seeing a top driver racing a car that fast around a circuit that unsuited to such car is is a thing of uh is a thing of wonder really and you know and the race was um was dull, sadly. Um, but at the same time, you know, this is the race in which for the first time this season, you know, I don't know when 
a Red Bull last led the championship, well, both championships, but they do now. Uh, they've got another street circuit to come up in Baku in a couple of weeks' time. Um, so I guess the question is, has the tide turned? I, I know what my answer to that question is, but, but <laughs> what, what, what do you think? I think it's absolutely not turned. No, so um, do I. I think what we've seen is uh, a circuit that highlights the virtues and deficiencies of two quite different cars. Um, the Mercedes, quite apart from that awful pit stop that he never drove away from for Valtteri Bottas, they had a. I had a premonition about that. Did you? Why didn't I you did. tell us? <laughs> no, no, well, because I had a premonition about it as he was coming down the pit lane. Oh, okay. It was only like did a five you? second premonition, but I literally, I mean, I'm not sort of into all that sort of weird, spooky stuff at all. I really am not. I, I, but all I can tell you is I was absolutely sitting there and he was coming down the pit lane and I just thought to myself, he's going to have a real problem here. Really? And I was right. Yeah, it was very strange. It you was very, it right. very strange. Yeah, well, I, yeah, but you wouldn't expect it to, would you? But I, I could literally just thinking, uh, something's not going to go right here. I didn't realise just how wrong it was going to go, but I thought he was going to have a terrible pit, pit stop. But anyway, yes, that's what you were saying. Well, yeah, I mean, quite apart from that terrible pit stop. And it's, oh my God. I'd, do you know what? Forget all the millions that have been spent developing that car. Uh, Mercedes' enormous investment, and it comes down to a wheel nut. It's just astonishing. But I feel for Bottas because... He clearly wasn't particularly happy with that car. He was happier than Lewis, I would imagine, but he, he didn't seem to be having you know the easiest run all weekend. And, and so he's hustling this thing around there. He actually is risking his life around there because they're doing, coming out of the tunnel, they're getting close to 200 miles an hour. You know, it is a fundamentally dangerous thing to do. And all of that comes down to a bloody wheel nut that refuses to come off, that threads its... It's just... It must be utterly gutting. Imagine that, how, how hyped you are, how, how filled with adrenaline you are in that moment, and then you just crash. It must be an incredibly difficult thing to deal with. Uh, and, yeah, and I, I think what we saw was, uh, well, I've read up a bit about it, actually, and basically the Mercedes car is just not well suited to, that, to a circuit like that, where a low-energy circuit, so they're, they're not switching on their tyres, and so what they have to do is go quite aggressive with, well, I don't know what, but the setup. So maybe that's geo or something, just to try and switch the tyres on. And of course, that means that you just ruin them through the race and, and you get terrible tyre wear. And that's what was happening to Bottas. That's why he couldn't hold on to Max. Um, so the, the car just doesn't work there. And that's why, but, I presume, Lewis was first to pit out of everybody. Yeah. Yeah, well, it, it could well be. Um, they also, it looked like they made some bad strategy calls, but they're dealing with a car that just doesn't like being raced around there. The flip side is that it works better on high energy circuits. And so the moment we get to a Silverstone or a Spa, it's just, the Mercs are just going to be back in front. And those Ferraris are going to slip back again. Yeah, probably. No, absolutely. no I, th- I, th- I think that's absolutely right. What did you make of... Uh, Lewis getting on the blower and being really very critical of the team, and that's it. You know, there are two ways of looking at it. You know, part of you could think, well, that's you know the petulant old Lewis that we've seen too much in the past, and then there's another part which thinks, well, actually, maybe you know they expect so much of themselves um, that when they slip up as they do, it really needs to be called out. Um, and in those sorts of times, I don't know where I am with that, but I was I was surprised because you know we haven't heard. Lewis talking like that um, on the radio um, for a long time now, um, and I was I was a bit taken aback. But actually, then I thought, 
yeah, if you if your standards are that high and you find yourself, you know, down in seventh um, with, you know, with three people you should be ahead of now ahead of you. Um, I can understand why he might have been a little bit put out by it. Yeah, well, I think that he knows he's in a title fight this year um, and he's, he's not going to romp to, well, maybe he will, but he probably thinks he's not going to romp to the title like he has done the last couple of years and that every point really counts. Um, and so there's a weight of, there's a pressure there. Um, I also think, uh, I, I, what's great about Team Radio is that drivers forget it's actually a public forum. And so that's where you get their honest views because in, in all his social media output and interviews after the race, he's gracious and he's not, he's not um, calling out the team. He was actually a little bit more than we have seen him do in the past. He was clearly frustrated. But ultimately, after the weekend, he was saying, we win and lose together. We will learn from this. We will come back stronger. Um, so I don't think he's trying to call out the team. I don't think he's trying to create issues there. But in the heat of the moment over the radio, you get their honest opinion. And he was clearly livid with them. He thinks, he, from his point of view, from his perspective in that moment, clearly, he lost thinks the they made... Well, lost in the... Or a podium well, or a, podium. a shot. Yeah, a, a, a stack of points, certainly. What do we make of... It seems ridiculous to be talking about someone who's won the Monaco Grand Prix three times. But it is a bit of a bogey circuit for Lewis, isn't it? You know, you think that, you know, that there are, you know, there are lots of people out there who... Well, not lots of people. There are some people who've won it, you know, five, six times. And Lewis, despite having been a Grand Prix, this is now, I think, his 15th season. He's only, only won it three times. Uh, whereas at some other circuits, he's kind of like a sort of serial winner. It's all, it's more, it's rarer when he doesn't win than when he does. Um, and I don't know whether it's just bad luck or whether it's something about his driving style or maybe he's just been in cars because he's only ever driven for two manufacturers. And maybe he's, he's just only ever been in cars which happen not to work around circuits like that. I, I think that's right. I think, um, the Mercedes actually hasn't been well suited. It's a long wheelbase car, isn't it? It's, it doesn't have the, uh, well, we think it doesn't have the downforce of the Red Bull. It, and actually, for the last few years, whereas Red Bull has been competitive on the engine side, that has been the fastest car around there. The Red Bull has been the gun car. We've seen yeah, Ricardo's won it. Um, uh, I, think, I think that has been the car to have. And... Uh, yeah, so how many opportunities has Lewis actually had to win it? I, I, you, also, he's, there have been a couple of incidents that have denied him a win. He could quite easily have won it four or five times, and then we wouldn't be having this discussion. But it is, it's an interesting anomaly, and it's a bizarre thing to say about someone. He's only won it three times. Particularly at the circuit where, traditionally, people have thought, as we said in this podcast, it's where the skill shines most brightly. And there's, no, I don't think there's any question that, that, that Lewis is the most skilled driver out there so you'd think he would be most at home but he's not i think it's got everything to do with the cars and i think also the reason therefore that i don't think it is going to be i'm afraid a sort of last race thriller of a title fight because you know what mercedes does is they create a car which works best on most circuits and monaco is an anomaly um and I think as the season progresses, as we get to faster circuits, as we get to the Spas and the Silverstones and the Monsters and so on and so forth, I think that I think Red Bull will be closer this year. But I, I can't see it coming down to a title decider in the last race. I can't myself, but I, I, I hope I'm wrong. I, I think I agree with you. I think um, we and others in the media have played up this title battle a little bit. I agree. Um, 
And I think that narrative has been sort of supported until now, but I think the reality is that it's not as close as it looks. Um, if you look at Spain, which is probably more, more representative of a typical circuit, the, the Mercedes actually monstered Red Bull there. The way uh, Hamilton came through with a good number of laps still to go and got past Max, um, there was no defending that, and there was no way Max was going to win that race. So I think that is actually a truer reflection of what we're going to see for the rest of the year. It is. I mean, because that circuit is, it's meant to be the sort of, you know, the archetypal Formula One circuit, isn't it? It's the kind of like, it's like the default, it's the baseline setting for, you know, and, and all other circuits are sort of, you know, a bit different to that. But that's kind of like the, the midpoint, isn't it? And you're absolutely right, around there, no one's going to get near or any circuit like it. Yeah, we'll have to reflect on this. Um, a few months from now we'll see how wrong we were because let's just remember that uh we did predictions didn't we before the the start of the weekend um and you said hamilton hamilton poland win uh, <laughs> on, <laughs> on reflection i mean maybe yeah what, maybe did, you, what, what did you say you said max poland win didn't I, you i think i said max max but i actually only to be different you know well, I, you're, I, you're I only half wrong yeah well there we go i assumed uh i did think lewis would do it but clearly the car just wasn't working there. No. Um, a moment about Leclerc. Um, oh. Great to get pole there. Uh, he, I don't think he did it on purpose, putting it in the wall. Of course he didn't do it on purpose. No. I never thought that. I mean, I mean, no. Sorry. You know, <laughs> that's a big accident to go and have, given the speed you're doing. No one is going to go and have, you know, a really big accident. Because, you know, he could so, you know, if you think of what Nico did or what Michael did, you know, they they made that happen. No, forget it. And, and also, I, I just... And I don't know the bloke, I've never met him, but from seeing that, I just don't think he's that sort of person. I just don't think he's got that Machiavellian streak in him. Uh, maybe that's being terribly naive. But no, I... you know, And, and sorry, no, I absolutely don't believe for a second that was some devilish ploy to go and have a really bad action. And also, you know... Okay, Ferrari have now said they don't think it was... Um, the accident which put the car out before the start of the race. But, you know, you're going to have an accident like that. You're going to whack the car quite hard. Are you really going to risk, at best, a five-place grid drop trying to secure a pole by driving into all that? It just doesn't stack up um, in any way for me. So, no, simply don't buy it. Um, so do you think they got unlucky with whatever it was that put him out of the race? Um, or were they just stupid not replacing the gearbox? Well, it's a call, isn't it? Uh, I'm sure that... I'm sure... I don't think stupidity... You know, they... I mean, I find it. I mean, I know they said it's got nothing to do with the gearbox. Well, I think it may have nothing to do with the gearbox, but it, it is it is one hell of a coincidence. I mean, I can't remember when a Ferrari or any car <laughs> failed to turn up on the grid, and the fact that it's the one car that had a big whack, and there were all these question marks over, it, and it was a drive shaft that failed. Um, I mean, you know, maybe it wasn't, but um, I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure they looked at it, and I'm sure they thought it was fine. Uh, I think it was. It was bad luck, uh, and also I think it was. You know, you think about it. You, know, you think about Ferrari. You're a proud, proud team, um, and you've got pole at Monaco. It's basically it's the first good news you've had since 2019, since it all went so horribly publicly wrong for you. You know, are you? You know, Ferrari starting that race. Ferrari, what would they would have been first and fourth? Yeah. So Ferrari's on the first and second rows of the grid. Are you really going to go? Let's just give that up. If, they, if, if you can't see any evidence, which doesn't mean there isn't any, but if you can't see any evidence to suggest that the car is damaged, um, I think you roll the dice. Or I think that's what they did. Uh, and I think that as a proud team wanting to be seen to be starting Monaco, which is also, don't forget, 
pretty much a home Grand Prix for Ferrari, given that you are, what, three miles from Italy there? Um, you know, I, th I think that they really, really wanted to see a Ferrari leading a Grand Prix, and I completely understand that. Yeah. Uh, sadly, the race was over from a sort of spectator point of view. The moment he didn't take the start, wasn't it? It was just quite clear what was going to happen. I think I, I think the moment that Max chopped across the bowels of Valtteri. I mean, when it first started, and quite clearly Bottas had a quick, had a better start. And I think, oh, this could be interesting if they get, you know, if they get up close and personal through Sandoval. But the moment that Max just went, no, no, I'm not doing that. Um, then you know, it was it, it was going to be down to some mechanical. Thing. I don't think there was a single overtake in that race. Apart, oh no, 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 absolutely not. No, sorry, Mitch Schumacher did. Schumacher yeah. got down the in, in the inside of Mazepin, but he somehow managed to finish behind him. Oh, did I he? Don't know how he? I don't know how he did that. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Uh, I don't know how you get beaten by by Mazepin, but apparently he did. Do you know who else predicted a Hamilton pole, Hamilton win before the weekend? Hamilton. No. <laughs> Nick Nick Heidfeld. Nick Heidfeld. Because I, yeah, because I I spoke to him before the weekend um, for a. Uh, an app-only podcast. So it's on the app now. If you subscribe to the app, you can go and listen to Nick Heidfeld now. Um, and he does predict a Hamilton-Hamilton poll and win. Uh, so he got that just as wrong as you did. Good. Um, I mean, but, good company. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was interesting talking to him. He came second there in, I think, 05. Uh, and he won the race in an F3 car. He says that the most fun he's had driving around there was in an F3 car. Yeah, I uh, bet. Perhaps because it's a bit smaller, a bit more nimble. Yeah. Um, and just racier than a and also, big and, 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 and also, you know, a lot less downforce. You could skid an F3, because you're going to a much smaller car, um, which is much less bolt to the ground, you could skid it around there. And that must just be the, that must just be the most fun. Skidding around the streets like that must just be completely brilliant. I can, I mean, having never driven, you know, any single seater around there, never, I, I think I understand where he's coming from. Yeah. Yeah, it was good talking to him. Um, Really, it, it tied into this discussion that we've been having on the podcast and on the app about how you make electric cars fun to drive. And he's a good person to talk to because he loves cars. And I've, I, I was looking at his Instagram, actually, and he's recently bought a Carrera GT and he describes it as his favorite car ever. Wow. Um, so he gets it. He really gets it. Um, he's clearly achieved an enormous amount in racing. Um, he, in 2007, he drove the BMW F1 car um, around the Nürburgring, the Nordschleife. So he must be the only person alive who knows what it's like to drive a modern Formula One car around that place. He talks about that in the podcast on the app. Um, but the reason he's a good person to talk to about making electric cars fun to drive is that he is responsible for doing exactly that with the Pininfarina Batista. He is the development driver for that car. And so I just wanted to hear him talk about it. Um, and what struck me is that he sort of shares... A frustration that I have, and I know that a lot of other people have, with modern supercars and hypercars that are just so fast. And unless you've got a circuit, it's you're taking liberties to really tap into their performance and feel them working beneath you. Um, and he understands that, and he completely he without me prompting him, he said it. Um, but he insists, nonetheless, that the Pininfarina Batista with its 1,900 horsepower is not going to be like that. Um, wow. Which is... I don't understand well, it. I, when you've got a car that is that size, that weight, with that power, how could it be anything else? So I th it was really interesting him, to hear him say that. Let me just play that. I'm just going to play that clip so people can hear. First time I'm old time I had it last year. And this car had, I don't know, maybe 140 horsepower, but <laughs> it was very light. It was perfect. 
because you can feel you're a little bit on the limit and and uh, the engine is pulling, but you are nowhere near a dangerous speed or uh, near to an illegal speed. So this was for me very clearly therefore the target to build a car that doesn't make you do crazy things. So you're quite right to question it. It remains to be seen how on earth it's possible for something that weighs two tons, has 1,900 horsepower, to not be one of these frustrating hypercars that you just can't explore on the road. He insists that will be the case. I I don't know. We're going to have to wait until we have a go in that thing, aren't we? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, while, while we're here, we should mention that as of today, the Intercooler app is four weeks old. Um, that's gone by oh, quickly, isn't it? anniversary is this week. It is this week. Um, yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's just reflect on the first month. Um, I mean, thousands and thousands of you have downloaded the app. Lots of you have, have subscribed and you're contributing in the comments and you're getting stuck in and you're giving us feedback. Um, it's all been really encouraging, really positive so far. Um, there have been a few little niggles there, are, there will be improvements made to the app very soon quite substantial improvements and we'll be telling people about those um, in, in the next couple of weeks or so um, but uh, I don't know people, people seem to be enjoying it well I mean I just take great heart from I mean, I mean the numbers speak for themselves but I also take great heart from the fact that we've had it's the thick end of it's 400 it's nearly 500 ratings and reviews on the apple and google app stores um and at the moment we're averaging 5.0 um which is as good as you can get um you can't do better than that and 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 i'm just and and there are so many comments uh and so many people have been kind enough to sit down and tell us what they think about what we're doing uh and it just i just find it really encouraging um, and it breeds confidence that to, for us to think that actually having this you know, very unusual and slightly mad idea of creating an ad-free environment where the best writers um, write the best they, things that they can and we provide it to our subscribers in the most convenient form possible, um, th- there might be something in it. Um, and certainly all the numbers, you know, both objectively and subjectively, I guess, all the evidence suggests so far that um, that it does. But it's still extremely early days. Um and yeah so do go take a look um it's it's incredibly easy to download it's even easier to to cancel if you if if, if you don't like it you can just go into your settings and get rid of it it's it, it really couldn't be easier um if you do already uh, or if you look at it and you discover you do like it please tell people um because the more that that happens the more that we can do all the other things that we want to be doing um, particularly with video and guest podcasts and that sort of thing it just makes our life an all the, the quicker we can spread the word the faster we can i mean you know turn it into absolutely what we want it to be i mean it's 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 pretty good now we we hope and we think and it, it, the comments suggest but uh, it can get even better um and we just we're just excited to to get on that on the, on that job so yeah. yeah anything you could do for us in that regard would be great yeah tell your friends tweet about it post about it on instagram if you like we'd appreciate all of that it would really help um yeah you, we're trying to be very transparent with how you cancel if you start if you take out a subscription or you start the free trial everyone gets offered a one month free trial if it's not for you just cancel you can cancel very easily you don't have um, to ring you, anybody up or anything no 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 and you do that in the settings app on your phone not within the ti app itself it's in the, the sort of native settings app on your phone. You'll, there'll be, whether you're Google or um, Apple, there'll be a, 
a subscriptions uh, button and you'll go in there and you can cancel. It's, it, it's really easy. So you might as well take out a free trial. But we think you'll stick with us because, well, it's pretty good. And we've got, um, we'll announce a new writer very soon. We're quite excited about this new writer of ours. Um, and we will be making substantial improvements to the comments system, the comments function. Um, and will enable you to read on a desktop or a laptop computer as well. So just making it even better, even more convenient. And we'll just improve this thing as we go. Promo over, or is there anything, anything else to say? No, I think that's it. I think it's more on us blathering on about how brilliant we are. No, that's, uh, that's, that's fine. Okay, motor racing dynasties, keeping dynasties. in the family. Yes. Um, so can you really not read your notes, or are we, are we flying blind here? No, we're flying blind. <laughs> okay. Well, fine. Um, I mean, it's an interesting topic because I've, well, I've been thinking about it a lot. And actually, the, the children of racing parents are massively overrepresented in motorsport compared to the general population. The vast majority of us clearly don't have racing parents. But a good proportion of the, the sort of familiar names in the top categories of motorsport have racing parents so there's something in it and just to get us started i want to know from you if you think it's to do with wealth resource experience contacts know-how or if there's something that's passed down genetically it's it's all of the above isn't it it's the nature and it's the nature it has to be um uh, yeah i mean you, the genetic thing is that they have to want to do it um, you know, there are, you know, there are all sorts of people who are the sons of amazing, you know, for instance, Elliot Moss, Sterling's son, lovely bloke, no interest in racing at all. Oh, really? Um, no, not at all. Um, and so you have to, so you, you know, you absolutely have to want to do it. Um, and, you know, and I think that obviously, you know, having a name helps. Um, but I think that an awful lot of people who do do it, find that name as much of a curse as, as a benefit because it's always, oh, well, you got in that car only because, you know, dad's who he is and, and that sort of thing. And I think that there is, there is a lot of, there's a great desire, isn't there, to, to prove yourself beyond the family environment. And, and the way I look at it is, you know, with all things in life, you know, if someone is able to open a door for you, that is one thing, but it's, it's actually what you do um, when you've got through that door and are on the other side um that, that really matters um do you have a view as to whether children tend to be better or worse than their dads i mean my view and i don't have necessarily the empirical evidence not least because i can't read my own handwriting and i don't think that i think that fathers tend to be better than sons so i think there is a bit of gene dilution going on now i i know that there are exceptions to it um but yeah i think generally as a rule um, I think the offspring, I mean, if you look at, um, I don't know, the Brabham family, yeah, um, there was, there was Jack, you know, three times world champion, um, you know, absolute, you know, the, 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 the first person to win a, the only person to win a world championship in a car of his own creation. Um, and then there are the, then there are the sons, there was Jeff, there was Gary and there's David, um, all exceptional drivers all of whom did you know did amazing stuff i mean david and jeff both won the more um but i don't think even they would say for a moment that they were in the same street as their dad mm. that's really Gra- interesting graham and damon um yeah you know damon formula one world champion graham 
double Formula One world champion, winner of the Indy 500, winner of Le Mans, only person in history ever to have done that. Mm. Yeah, it's a good point. Also, I know the statistics don't back this up, but Gilles and Jacques? Gilles and Jacques. Um, it depends which Jacques you're talking about. Are you talking about Jacques the son or Jacques the uncle? I'm talking about the 97 F1 world champion. Ah, okay, that Jack, yes. Um, you know, <laughs> I didn't they, know there was the, another one. Yeah, there's another Jack Villeneuve, there's another, who was an absolute dude. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, Uncle, uh, Uncle Jack. Um, he did, I think he did do a few Formula One races, um, and he was a Can-Am champion. Um, his big thing was snowmobile. He, he, on a snowmobile, he was just like, forget it, don't even turn up if you're not, if, if you're not, if you're not Uncle Jack, because he was just an <laughs> absolute ace on those things, and he's still around. Um, Okay, so yes, yeah, so Gilles, and well, for me, Gilles is in a totally different category to his, and, and I think had he lived, uh, he, would, he would have shown that. And frankly, had he not been such an amazing team player, um, had he not just sat behind Jody throughout the entire 1979 season um, and just played the number two, because he, that's what he was. Um, and he was there for the two. I mean, I've likened him to uh, Gilles to Sterling, insofar as I think they're the only two people to have had that extraordinary ferocious talent and yet who have also been completely prepared to be a number two in the way sterling was to fangio in 1955 he was just he sat behind and learned from the master um and i think that Villeneuve was extraordinary in his character in the gilles Villeneuve, to, to, to have done that and I, and I you know i don't frankly think that jacques Villeneuve is whatever the statistics say i don't think that he is in, in the same street in the same league anywhere near his dad I think you have a point probably the statistics would back that up wouldn't it that there is some gene dilution from father to offspring um, because there are fewer examples um, of the opposite I mean there's a certain Monaco Grand Prix winner uh, yesterday actually he became a Monaco Grand Prix winner who, who is probably would be recognised as a better racer than his father absolutely um, Max Verstappen. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's, uh, his talent is just enormous. And Joss Verstappen is clearly a good driver, but not no, to the not, same degree. No, no. So there are, there, there are definitely exceptions. Okay, another question I was going to ask you. What's a dynasty? Well, right, okay. At which point does it become a dynasty? Yeah, so if it's just a, like a father and a son. Um, and I'm sorry not to mention any women in this, but there just haven't been any examples because you know there, there, there just aren't, there haven't been enough um, women in uh, at, the, at the top level in, in motorsport to be able to make these kind of conclusions. But um, I see. I think you need a family. I think you need a Brabham or an Unser or an Andretti or a Fittipaldi. Yeah. I think you need. Yeah. I think you need a whole sprawling family before you can say that's yeah. a dynasty. Because otherwise, it's just you know, it's, it's just dad and his kid, isn't it? Okay, well, that's a good point. And you, you, you've addressed something that I was going to bring up. Um, we seem to have more of these big sprawling dynasties in the US. Yes, but... Okay. <laughs> we think of the answers and the Fittipaldis and we think of the Andrettis, but the Fittipaldis are Brazilian. The Andrettis are Italian, naturalised in America, but Mario was born in Italy. Didn't speak, you know, English is his second language. Um, but then there are there is the example of the answers. No, but actually no, because the answers are Swiss, aren't they? Are they? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, okay, but they've so raced they just, in America. So they're not American. They just go to America and then they do all their stuff in America. But yes, no, you absolutely do have a point. Yes, there there's an awful lot more of it going over going on over there than over here. I wonder if why is that then? I wonder if there's uh, there's a bit more nepotism in U.S. racing, or if 
there's, there's, maybe it's marketing-led. Maybe your surname is just worth so much more out there. If you are an Andretti, you'll, you'll get in a, you know, a well-funded seat, maybe. Yeah, if you, yeah but, but you still have to be able to do it, don't you? You do. You do. It would be unfair to suggest otherwise. Um, we're seeing it in rallying now. Um, okay, maybe these aren't dynasties as such because it's only father and son, but uh, it's just—it's really interesting to watch a couple of the sons of um, some stars of the WRC in the 90s and the, and the 2000s coming through, notably Oliver Solberg, who just looks like an enormous talent, uh, and Cali Rovenpera, who after, I think it was the first two rounds um, of this year's championship, was leading the title fight. He's not anymore, but... I mean, that's quite good, isn't it? And he's that's clearly, good, yeah. Harry, Harry Robin Perrison, he's clearly a brilliant driver. What's amazing about these young kids, and they are kids really, Oliver Solberg and Kelly Robin Perra, is that they, they're so fast. Um, and it, it, in rallying in particular, it used to be the case for a long time that not until you were 25 did you have the experience to run at WRC pace. Um, but these guys are 19, 20, 21, and, and they're there. They're really flying. Um, I, I think it's extraordinary to see. I remember um, I was on the Monte Carlo rally in, I don't know, maybe it's 15 years ago or something, 14 years ago, when Petter uh, was still a works Subaru driver. I was with ProDrive, the Subaru team, um, and we were down in Monaco for the, the, the Super Special, the Spectator stage, and... There's this young, blonde-haired kid running around. He must have been four or five. And that was Oliver Solberg. And now he's now look probably him. the brightest young rally-driving talent that there is. He, um, it was in, I think it was in 2019 that he did a year uh, in the American Rally Championship with Subaru. Um, and so he was teammates to David Higgins and Craig Drew. And Craig is a mate of mine. Um, and he was saying that Oliver is massively fast but in rallying you have to know when to be fast um, because if the conditions are rough or if the car you know has got an issue or something if you're just fast the whole time you will break it and or you'll get punctures and that is not the way to win championships so that's, so that's just experience isn't it that's just something you've yeah. got to learn talent won't talent won't get you that you've got to learn it it takes that bit of control doesn't it and that's what you learn uh, when you're young and he yeah. will i'm sure yeah, the, when you some of the stage times that he sets, uh, Oliver Solberg, they just they just there's just no doubt that he's got the speed, um, and I mean that it, it sort of it brings up the nature nurture thing for me as well because there's no question that he was driving these cars or you know he was driving rally cars from a very very young age, Cali uh, Rovenpera as well. There's some footage of him out there when he's really just a kid, maybe 10, 11 years old, driving a rally car, effectively with a booster seat, and he's going really quickly. So I, I think if you get that opportunity from a really young age to figure out what rally driving is all about, then it, it's a compounding interest, isn't it? And for the rest of your career, you, you have an advantage, you have an edge over someone else your age who started much later. Um, yeah, uh, it's, these, these kids are going to come through and they're going, to, they're going to light up the championship in the next few years. And it probably means that the established names at the moment are going to find themselves with some real competition. It's going to be great. Talking of kids, do you think that however many races we are into the season, do you think that even though he's probably in the slowest car, that Mick Schumacher would have made more of an impact than he has if he were 
it absolutely a chip off the old block? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, I think he he won the F2 title, but he won it through consistency, didn't he? I don't think he was. I don't think he got a pole, and he didn't win tons of races. Um, so he he won the championship. That's really all that matters. But is it even possible to demonstrate uh, a raw talent in a car like this year's Haas? Um, I mean, there will be opportunities. We've seen some do it uh, in the past, but he is. All you can do really is beat your teammate in qualifying. Um, and beat them in the yeah. races. And but I suspect that beating Mazepin in qualifying isn't necessarily the the toughest job in Formula One. It's probably not. But that's all. He, that's all. Mick that's can all do. he can do, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And if he's beating him by half a second or something, it's fairly emphatic, isn't it? Um, but really, for us to know how good Mick Schumacher is, is he a Michael? Is he a Ralph? Uh, it's, he's gonna. He's gonna need a shot in a, a more competitive car. Yeah. Yeah, well, hopefully Hassel will be able to provide him with one of those. Because, I mean, they've said, haven't they, that basically they're just, they're just writing off this year. And they're pouring everything into next year's car. Um, so we will see. So my question to you is, I think well, I don't think we can exit this podcast. I'm aware that we're running out of time. But uh, I don't think without naming the greatest motor racing dynasty. Um, and, and, and I think it is down to... Um, to the Fittipaldi's, the Andretti's and the Unser's, because I think just in terms of the number of people that are involved in that, um, I mean, you know, Fittipaldi, there was Wilson, there was Emerson, there's Christian, and there's, there's Pietro, who, you know, who, who did a, a race last year in Formula One. Christian did, I can read some of my writing, 43 Grand Prix, one Daytona three times, Sebring twice. Um, Wilson, you know, um, Emo's brother did 38 Grand Prix. Uh, I think he got three podiums. And then, of course, there's Emerson, you know, um, the youngest ever world champion in 1972 when he got it. Um, obviously, uh, that's been beaten by others since. Um, 14 wins, two Indy 500s. Um, so that's the Fittipaldi's. Um, the, and- the Andretti's, um, well, there's Michael who did, I think he won, Michael won 42 Indy car races. And obviously, he had that not very successful time in Formula One in the McLaren. And there's Marco Andretti who's doing you know great stuff couple of wins and then there's mario mario who's just the to, to me the you know the, the consummate me he is the consummate racing driver he's won the formula one world championship he's won the indy 500 um but actually to me it's the answers okay now get <laughs> yeah, this okay? okay between them the answers have won the indy 500 nine times nine times uh which is according to my notes, which I can just about read here. So that's uh, Big Al, Al Senior, four, um, Bobby, three, and Little Al, two. Nine Indy 500s, and then endless wins in other, um, in, in, in other areas of, uh, of racing over there. Um, and there were so many of them. There was Joe, and there was Louis, and there was Jerry, and there was Al Senior, and Al Junior, <laughs> and there was Bobby, and there was Robbie, and there's, you know, they're just wow. basically answers everywhere. everywhere. And they all do really, really well. Um, so I, th- I think, although almost all of what they achieved was done over there rather than over here, um, I still think that is a record, a dynastic record, which I think you're going to struggle to beat. Okay. Well, I'm not going to argue with that. That is that is impressive. Uh, so we're declaring Indy 500 wins from one family. <laughs> we're declaring the answers the greatest motor racing dynasty of all time. Yes. Well, I am. Well, okay. I'll back I mean, up I, on that. I hope people get on here and tell, and tell me I'm wrong and, and and why it's not the you know the 
tiddly what pushes from wherever <laughs> but um yeah to me they are good okay well let's leave that one there that was fun um what do i want you all to do this week just go and download the app and start your free trial if you haven't already uh just search the intercooler on either app store whichever app store you use and you'll find it straight away download it start your free trial if you don't like it cancel it in the settings uh app on your phone um simple and we'll we'll keep bringing you some of the best writing from some of the best writers out there today because we've been doing it for four weeks we're not going to stop and it's just going to get better and better and better yeah come back next week for another podcast look forward to it thanks all